So last week we talked about future you, and we asked the question, what would future you say for you to do right now? Even if it's difficult, even if it doesn't seem possible. Ultimately, this is really, I think, going to be a series about purpose, a series about meaning, um, how you can accomplish what it is that you're supposed to accomplish, uh, and what it is, we're, how, we, how we can do what it is that God has created us and put us on earth to do. Um, and th- we're going to talk about some about it on a pretty micro level. Like we're going to, I want to talk about how to get through a day. We're going to talk about time management stuff. Believe it or not, the Bible speaks to this kind of detailed stuff about our lives. It may seem weird to you to think that the Bible addresses that, uh, but it addresses some of the small things in our lives as well as the big things. So if you're just, you know, exploring faith, maybe you're on the fence about Jesus, maybe you're just getting started on this journey, uh, the, this that we call following Jesus, we're, we're really glad you're here because I think there'll be some practical takeaways. Uh, the Bible is surprisingly practical. So last week, in part one, we asked the question, what uh, would future you say for you to do right now? What would future you tell you to do right now? And then we actually all filled out these cards, like a postcard. <clears throat> I mean, like nearly 100% participation. So thank you so much for engaging with that last week. And if you were here, you took part in this exercise. This summer, you're going to get that card in the mail. Middle of the year, just going to pick a date, and we're going to send it back to you. And I'm not opening the envelopes. You sealed the envelopes. You addressed them. I'll put the stamps on them and send them to you at some point this summer when you're least expecting it. And hopefully it'll serve as a reminder. And maybe it'll serve as kind of a mile marker on your journey of the progress that you've made, of the work of God in your life, like what he's done, what he's continuing to do, uh, just because you're surrendered to him and you're engaged in the process of becoming the person that he's created you to be. Now, if you missed out on last week for whatever reason, I've put those cards out again today. So please pick one up uh, as you leave today and then... uh, Uh, fill it out, put it in the envelope, seal it, put your mailing address on it, bring it back in the next couple of weeks and put it in that that basket and we'll send it to you. And it might be helpful for you uh, to go back and listen to last week's message. So many of you I know subscribe to the podcast and you get that automatically on your device on whatever platform you use. Uh, But uh, uh, some of you I know prefer to use on demand. So I just want to, like if you go under our messages page and you can see all the videos that we have there since we've started doing video last year. Uh, All the audio is there from like several years, but now we have video. And one of the things you want to watch for is down at the bottom underneath the player, there's a button there that says resources. So anytime that's lit up, if it says resources, uh, click on it and you'll be able to download something. And so in this from last week, you can download that card. So if you're watching on church online, uh, check that out on the media player and then download the card there under resources. And you can get in on this experience too. The big idea of this series uh, is that future you... <clears throat> is going to wish that you'd done some things, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe accomplish more with your life. I mean, that's true of me. I'm going to look back on some things one day, and I'm going, to, I'm going to think, I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd tried this. The big idea of this series is simply to do what future you would tell you to do. It's just another way of really saying, do what you wish you would have done all along. Do what the future you would tell you to do. But the exact question that I want to wrestle down today, I want to get a little bit uh, down another level down and spend the rest of our time this morning with is simply this, because listen, all of us are busy people, right? Everybody's busy. The question is, why haven't I accomplished more? Why haven't I accomplished what I had hoped I would accomplish at this point in my life, whatever point that is? Almost everybody at some point or many points along the way wishes they had accomplished more. 
Maybe you wish you had accomplished more financially, like maybe, the, maybe wishing you had more to show for the money that's passed through your hands over the years. Maybe relationally, things haven't worked out the way you had wanted. You're kind of like, well, why didn't that uh, relationship work out? Or where, why are my friendships the way that they are? Or, or maybe at work, maybe you thought you'd be further along, you'd be deeper into your career. Whatever your story is, whatever you find yourself looking at, chances are you've looked back or you find yourself right now looking back and, and going, I still think I could have done more there. So we're at the beginning of the year, still the first month of the year. Maybe this is a question you're asking. Why haven't I accomplished more? This actually plays out in our days. You ever notice when you look back on a day, <clears throat> you could have been incredibly busy, but you really didn't accomplish anything? You ever had a day like that where you were super busy, but when you think about it, you haven't accomplished anything? Can you identify with that at all? You can nod. You can do something. Yeah, thank you. And you look back and you're like, what did I actually accomplish today? Why didn't I accomplish as much as I wanted to accomplish? And I think this is a universal affliction that almost all of us have. And you go through seasons where maybe you accomplish more, but overall, it's a good question to keep in mind. But the reality is, for many of us, we never really answer the question. Even if we've asked it over and over, we haven't answered it. Because you can go through your teen years and never really ask the question and certainly never answer the question. But most people, I think, in their 20s start asking, why haven't I accomplished more? Why am I not further ahead? Why haven't I figured some of this stuff out? But you don't have an answer for that. And then in your 30s, you, you really don't have an answer for that. And in your 40s and 50s, the answer doesn't magically appear. So you look back and you're like, my life is like slipping away and it's going so fast and I don't think I'm accomplishing enough. I'm not accomplishing the things I wanted to accomplish. I'm not sure I'm accomplishing the things I should accomplish. Why is that? So here's the, here's the weird part about it. We don't meet too many people who are not busy, right? Have you ever noticed that if you ask people how they are, you get one of two answers typically. How you doing? I'm tired. That's a different sermon. How you doing? I'm busy. I'm busy, man. I'm so busy. See, I don't think that's supposed to be an answer to that question, but that's how a lot of us answer it. It's like, I'm busy. I am so busy. Man, I'm busy. Have you ever met a person who would say, how you doing? I am not busy. I've, ne I've never had that response from anybody. So here's a challenge for you. If you have a calendar on your phone, how many of you keep a calendar on your phone? On your, okay, get your phone in your hand, open it up. Take a second. We'll take a second. Oh, I got some texts. I should answer those. Uh, take, <laughs> take, a, take a second, open your calendar, and then go to the month of May or June. Okay? Let's say May. Go to May. Just pick a day. Chances are you're not doing much on that day, right? If you're like me, you have some uh, things that repeat on a w daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis. I've already got some stuff in May, but that's, that's all just like nitty-gritty stuff that I got to do anyway. But no, I mean, for the most part, like you want to grab a coffee in May? I'm pretty open, pretty open right now. Here's the thing. I, I can guarantee this. By the time we get into May, you will be busy. You and I will be so busy. We'll have so much we have to do. And, it's, and we'll be like, I can't get it done. There's so much to do. Right now you're looking at it like, I can't wait till May. Look, I got nothing on my calendar. But when you get there, you're going to be super busy. And here's the thing. I've found that work and other demands expand to fill the time available. That's just a struggle that we all have. So everybody's busy. Here's a common mistake, though. I think that we make this, we, we, we tend to confuse activity with productivity, 
we confuse activity with productivity. And the thing that we're trying to avoid, because so many people struggle with this, is you, you don't, we don't want to get further down the road. Let's not get much further down the road and look back and say, I'm not accomplishing what I had hoped to accomplish. And those of us who are Christians, we might say, I'm not accomplishing what God has created me to accomplish. So I think one of the, one of the common mistakes we make is that we confuse activity with productivity. We just think, well, I got a full day, I got a full calendar, I'm busy, 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 I'm so busy, I'm just on the run all the time. And then we realize, yeah, but you know what? I'm not really accomplishing anything, and I'm not really accomplishing anything that matters. So the good news is the Bible actually addresses that exact struggle. And, and I believe that if you're a Christian, this question should be even more urgent, because I believe that we've been entrusted with a message and a mission that can not only change lives, but can change the world. So this really matters, like for eternity. There are a lot of people who are not in church today who are asking the question, is there a God? If there is a God, does he know my name? Does he love me? Does he have a purpose for my life? Is there an, an answer to my drifting? Is there an answer to my emptiness? And I believe that as followers of Jesus, we have the answers to those questions. And I believe the Bible addresses that very clearly. The Apostle Paul who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, was driven by uh, this need to accomplish as much as possible, as much as he could in his life, and to let people know that they're really, it was just in his personality, and then there's just this, this uh, uh, urgency of his calling to let people know that there really is a God, that Jesus came as God in the flesh, that Jesus died and he rose from the dead, that he offers forgiveness, he offers restoration with the Heavenly Father, and he can make it all the difference in your life. But when you look at the Apostle Paul, I mean, oh my goodness, he accomplished so much in his life. And we don't know um, how long his ministry was. It was relatively short. I mean, 20, maybe 25 years. And he died in prison. He was executed by Nero. But he wrote two-thirds of what we call the New Testament today. And when you look at the growth and the spread of the early church, it was pretty amazing. It defies any explanation. And it all started in one city with a group of people in Jerusalem, and then it spread out from there to Samaria, and literally to the ends of the known world. And by the time the Apostle Paul had lived his life, the church that started in the Middle East, it went all around the Mediterranean Rim into Spain and in the, onto the north coast of Africa. And Paul was responsible for planting a large number of those churches. He was a guy who was driven, yes, in his personality, but then he was driven and lived with this sense of purpose and this need to bring purpose and meaning and hope to a world that often lived without hope. So when these first century Christians were trying to figure out, okay, we, we want to live our lives according to the way of Jesus, how do we live our lives according to the way of Jesus? Paul had some very, very practical advice, and I want to take you through what Paul had to say about one of these things right now. It's in the book of Ephesians. Uh, it was a letter to a group of Christians in Ephesus in the first century, and he's giving them some very practical advice. So again, if you're not a Christian, this could be really helpful. If you are a Christian, I think it's helpful and it's really time sensitive on how to live our life differently today in light of what Christ has done for us. So this is the Apostle Paul. This is what he has to say in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. He says, so be careful how you live. So if you think about it, a lot of us aren't all that careful about how we live. A lot of people go through their lives going, well, you know, why was I born? What's the purpose of me being here? What's the point? And Paul would say, well, I want you to think that through. I don't want you to live by accident. There's a greater purpose to your life. 
And a lot of people tend to say, well, I'll wait and see what life brings. Like, we don't really have a game plan. We haven't really thought it through. And Paul says, well, you really should think it through. And I want you to be careful about how you live, because how you live matters. And he says, don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. doesn't sound like particularly profound advice, because we're like, well, of course, I'm not going to live like a fool. I don't want to be a fool. I'm not foolish. But you know what the difference between a fool and a wise person is? It's pretty simple. Listen, a fool isn't somebody who doesn't know anything, all right? Often a textbook definition of a fool is somebody who knows the wise thing to do, but doesn't do it. And a wise person is somebody who knows the wise thing to do and does it. So the difference, most of the time, the difference between foolishness and wisdom, it's often execution, It's somebody who knows the wise thing to do and just chooses to do it. And so wisdom is simply taking all that you know and everything that you've learned and applying it to the situation at hand. Now, the challenge and the reason that so many people don't live wisely is because it's difficult to do. It's hard. It's harder to say no to the cheesecake or to the pie. It is for me. All right, there you go. It's hard. It's hard, right? It's harder to forgive. It's harder to live in grace towards others. It's harder to do the wise thing because we want to engage our impulses and our appetites and our emotions in the moment. And when we do that, we lose. We become foolish. But when we restrain ourselves, when we decide we're not going to do what we want to do in the moment, listen, for the sake of a long-term benefit, at that point, we become wiser. The Apostle Paul is saying, don't live your life foolishly. Just because you know the right thing or you know the wise thing to do isn't necessarily victory. That doesn't define the win. Because uh, a lot of Christians think that maturity is knowledge. But what Paul is saying here is live as people who are wise. Do what you know you're supposed to do. And then he says this, verse 16. Make the most out of every opportunity in these evil days. So this is, this is sort of the big verse for the week. Make the most of every opportunity. So here's what I think happens. <laughs> I mean, there are different ways to approach life, right? And I think a lot of people are like, well, I'm waiting for my opportunity. When's my opportunity going to come along? I've been waiting for like a year. I've been waiting for like five years. I've been waiting, I've been waiting for 10 years. It's been 20 years now. And I'm like, when is this opportunity going to come along? And Paul actually doesn't say, wait for the perfect opportunity. And maybe you're like, well, that's nice, but it doesn't seem very fair because God doesn't give me many opportunities. How come he gets all the opportunities? How come she gets all the opportunities? The opportunities never seem to come my way. Here's the deal. I think this is what Paul is saying. That, first of all, it doesn't work that way. Because he didn't say, wait for the right opportunity to come along. He didn't say, be jealous of the opportunities that other people get. He didn't say make excuses for yourself because somebody else got a better opportunity than you. I think he's saying look at every situation and see it as an opportunity. So then we have to ask ourselves, how do I make the most of this opportunity? So if you want to figure out what that looks like, uh, the Apostle Paul was awesome at this. Do you know where he wrote a significant percentage of the letters that have become part of the New Testament? Do you know where he was? He was in prison, right? 
Talk about an easily misidentified opportunity. And I think Paul is like, I don't understand this. I thought Jesus was pretty clear when he called me to this mission. I thought I, I got it right when it came to the call of God on my life and, and following Jesus. But here I am. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But here I am and I'm going to make the most of it. And he wasn't in jail because he did anything wrong. It wasn't even the result of any of his choices or actions. He ended up in jail because he's talking about Jesus and he's talking about the way of Jesus. And he said things like, I, he said in his letters, like, guys, I obviously don't want to be in jail. So go ahead and pray for my release. But here's what I'm going to do. While I'm here, I'm going to do the very best that I can. So here's a reality. Some of you are in opportunities right now that you hate. You've got an illness or a family member has an illness that you didn't sign up for. You're in a relationship that isn't what you pictured. You're in a work situation and you're like, oh man, work. Ugh. If I had a better job, I'd make more of my life. If I had a better family, I'd be making something of my life. If I had a different opportunity, I'm waiting for my opportunity. If it would come along, I would seize it. And I think Paul is saying to us, stop because you're missing it. Wait, no, that's, no, that's not how it works. You're missing it. You look at everything that comes your way and you simply ask, how do I make the most of this? How do I make the most of it? Because if you don't make the most of it, what happens is you make excuses. We make excuses like, well, the reason I couldn't make the most of that opportunity is you don't understand. Like, you don't understand my workplace. And the people I work with are like terrible and they're difficult. And one day when I get a new job and when I get to go back to school or when I finish college or I mean, if I had more money in the bank, man, or if I, if I had a better husband, if I had a better wife, if I had better kids, if I had better parents, if I had a better home, if I had any of these things, whatever your thing is, then I'd be in a good place to make the most of my life. But right now I don't, so back off. I think Paul is like, uh, nope, make the most of every opportunity. So here's what I think is true. You can make excuses or you can make progress, but you actually can't make both. You can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both. You ever notice people who make progress rarely make excuses and people who make excuses almost never make any progress? Think about that. You start to separate out, you know, like a lot of what I do is just uh, making excuses, but then a lot of what I do is just activity. So like, what's productivity look like? Like, what, what, what does accomplishing something look like? Like, how do I, maybe I should ask some different questions. Like, how did I invest in my marriage today? How did I invest in my family today? How did I invest in my children today? How did I invest in my own spiritual and personal growth today? How did I serve someone today? How did I serve my coworkers, my boss, my employees, my customers, my clients, my patients, my students? How did I serve someone today? So I think the Apostle Paul is urging the early church to get that practical with all of this. And then he continues, verse 17. He says, don't act thoughtlessly. So this isn't in the Bible, but I love this quote from Socrates around 400 BC where he said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I just, I seem to know so many people who have never stopped to examine their lives. Or maybe they finally stop, they pause after half of their life has gone by, what they think is half of their life, or what they think is three quarters of their life has gone by. And then they start to examine, you know, what's going on? Why am I here? Why haven't I accomplished more? What's going, what's the deal? So listen, if you're hearing this and you're, I don't know, under 25, 
This is a gift. Examine your life. Ask the hard questions. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What am I then trying to accomplish? What does God want to accomplish in me? What does God want to accomplish through me? Verse 17 says, don't act, uh, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So, so here's what I do. I tend to ask God to change my circumstances. Maybe you do too. That's where I want to go. A better approach would be to stop asking God to change my circumstances and start asking Him to change me in the middle of my circumstances. Because the only thing I bring into every circumstance is me. And you bring you into every circumstance in your life. And if we ask God to change us, if you allow Him to, to, I don't know, make the changes in you that He wants to make, to begin a process, to engage in a process that brings change in you, things change. And you start to move into other areas of your life. And you're like, I'm going to bring a different attitude. I'm going to bring a different attitude to work. I'm going to bring a different heart to the workplace. I'm going to pray differently. I'm going to read my Bible, not because it's something on my checklist that I need to do to get a star with God, but I'm going to read it with a view to applying this truth to my life, to my family, to my work, to all these things. Then Paul goes on. It seems like he's changing the subject, verse 18. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. So listen carefully. Paul isn't saying don't drink, right? So just want to make that clear. What he is saying is don't get drunk. Don't get to the point where you're impaired because alcohol can ruin your life. Drugs can ruin your life. Addiction can ruin your life. But you know what? You know what else, church people? What else can ruin your life? Netflix. I mean, believe it or not, and Amazon Prime and Hulu, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Sling, Fubo, Crackle, uh, YouTube, uh, oh, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, Newsmax. Listen, there's so much stuff that's out there that's so accessible, and it's so easy to watch and consume. And it's one of those deals, I'm not even talking about the content, I'm just talking about the consumption. And it's one of those deals when you spend, you have too much distraction, too much leisure can ruin your life. It plays a role in our lives. It's necessary. Leisure is necessary for a healthy balance. But in our culture, we have become consumed with it. So this is what Paul is warning against. So in the first century, just like in our century, uh, people got drunk all the time. And if you went to a high-class party, the purpose was to get drunk. And if you were hanging out with a rabble in town, the purpose was to get drunk. That's what you did. And Paul said, don't do that. It'll destroy your life. It'll ruin your life. But see, we're, we're um, enlightened. We're sophisticated. We've got more noble ways of ruining our lives. Uh, so when you look at the amount of content we consume on demand, it's crazy. And again, I'm not even talking about the nature of what it is you're consuming. That's another message for another day. I'm just talking about the volume of content that we take in. Perhaps it's time to do a little audit on the voices that speak into your life. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine or with too much leisure or distraction because that'll ruin your life. Here's what, basically what he's saying. Wasted time is wasted potential. When we waste time, we waste potential. And you can waste time in a day. And you do that every day for seven days, you've wasted a week. And you can, you can waste a week, and that becomes a month, and a month becomes a year, and a year becomes a decade, and before you know it, it's the characteristic of your life. Wasted time 
is wasted potential. So Paul says, let me give you an alternative. And this is what I love about Paul. It's about the time he's driving in our backyard, he always gives us kind of the escape route. He says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is simply God's presence in our lives. And I know it might sound mysterious and mystical to you, but here's a reality. God doesn't have to be a mystery. We can fill our lives with Him, fill our lives with the Holy Spirit. Then Paul continues, verse 19. Again, sounds like he's on to another topic, but listen, hang with me. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. So music is a thing, and it's a good thing. I love music. Um, I love the music we do at church. I love the music I listen to when I'm not in church. Um, I love hearing the people in our worship ministry make music together. I love hearing your voices when we sing together. Uh, I've heard people use this verse for reasons why we should sing songs that were written in the 18th century. That's not what this is talking about. That's all fine and good. If that's the way you want, that's fine. But Paul's not talking about that, and he's not talking about singing for the sake of singing, because that's a thing you're supposed to do in your church service. That's not what he's talking about. This is written to a preliterate society. The vast majority of people couldn't read or write. Like Paul knew when he was writing these letters, it was going to be a small handful of people reading this to the others in those churches because not very many people could read or write. And so what many societies did is when the majority of people couldn't read or write, they would commit the important things to rhyme, the important things about their, uh, their culture, about their history, uh, about their values. They'd commit them to rhyme and then to music because uh, it's a learning tool, Right? I mean, you, you learned this way too. How did you prob- that's probably how you learned your alphabet, right? With a song. Uh, you, you maybe learned the 50 states in a song. How many of you learned the 50 states in a song? Because nobody at 9 o'clock knew there were 50 states. So that's good. You're wicked smart. Um, how many, I mean, you, how did you learn about the shark family? Starting with the baby sharks. How did you learn about that? That's right, exactly. So, Sorry. <laughs> But that's what they do, right? So the early Christians, when they are trying to figure out who God really is and what he's really like and what's true about him and what exactly did Jesus call us to, they would write these hymns. They would write it in the form of poetry and then they would set it to music and they would use that to explain in the hymns who God was and then everybody could learn. So Paul is saying, this is just another way of filling yourself with what matters, it's another way uh, to, it's part of that, what Paul called renewing your mind. Another place he said, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, think on those things. In other words, when, why don't you fill yourself with the good things, the best thing, and then you're better equipped to make the most of every opportunity. Then he says this, verse 20, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, just be thankful. Because when he says give thanks for everything, there are no exceptions. So just live a life of gratitude. And if you think about the difference that would make this week, I think if we started to make the most of every opportunity with a grateful, thankful spirit. And if you're like, well, I don't really like the opportunities that are in my life right now. (laughs) That's the point. Because if you wait for a month and things turn around, or you wait for six months, or for a year, or for a few years, for a lifetime, for that opportunity that you're waiting for to come, and it doesn't come, then what? Because you'll wait for a year, and you'll wait for two years, and you'll wait for a decade, and the opportunity, then in the back of your mind, the dream that's supposed to happen, what if it doesn't happen? So Paul says, make the most of every opportunity, because that's something you can do every day. And in the process, don't confuse activity with productivity and don't waste time because wasting time is wasting potential. 
So all this is interesting theory, I guess, but how do we do this practically? What does that look like when it hits the ground? Uh, How do we make this uh, practically happen? So I want to just offer two suggestions for this morning, (coughs) two simple suggestions to get us started. Number one, let's stop using the phrase, I don't have time. Because this is what we do, right? We talk to somebody and they're like, hey, I want to get together. And you're like, "Ah, I really don't have time. A few years ago, I, made a, I started to make a change that I've been working on, but it has, has been significant for me because I would do that. And I discovered that you never have enough time to do everything you want to do. I don't have time for that. Hey, you want to... No, I, don't, I really don't have, I don't have time. You want to go... No, don't. I just don't have time. You don't understand how busy and important I am. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. You do have the time. You don't push back yet because you have the same amount of time in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year as everybody else on the planet. So we've kind of believed the lie. I don't have time. And I know we say it sometimes because it's kind of the polite option. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for y- you. I don't have time for that person. It sounds better than I don't want to do that with you, you know? But what if we stopped saying that, like this week, let's just stop, let's catch ourselves, maybe bring somebody else into that and hold us accountable, and we just banish that from our vocabulary, and instead we start saying this, maybe not out loud because that might be a little bit weird, but at least in our, to ourselves we said, I, if we say, I didn't make the time, because at least you're being honest with yourself. And if we're honest with ourselves, and this dialogue happens on the inside, we'll be so much better off because the truth is we did have the time, but it wasn't a priority, see? And the truth is we have as much time as anybody else has, but that one thing, that wasn't, or those things weren't a priority. And you're like, oh yeah, but you don't understand, my family is my priority, my marriage is my priority, my kids are my priority, my time with God is my priority, my work is my priority. Do you know how to tell? whether it's really a priority, you can tell by whether you made time for it or not. And you might be like, well, I don't like this. Neither do I. I don't want to hear this. And maybe that's the point. Maybe it'll cause us to confront the truth about the way that we spend our time. And maybe eventually we'll start thinking, you know, I really haven't made time for that fill in the blank. And maybe at some point, if we're honest enough, we'll address that and then we'll be able to make the most of the opportunities and start to make time for the things that really are important, that really matter. Second thing I would suggest is that for the next six days, Monday through Saturday, let's track our time. Um, and I don't know how you use your calendar. I, when I'm done something on my calendar, I delete it. So this week, for the next six days, I'm leaving it on there. I'll adjust it so it actually reflects how much time I spent on these different things. So I'm talking about Track how, let's do a real, a real um, exhaustive time audit, okay? Track how you spend your time for the next six days. I think we will learn some things about ourselves. This may not be fun, um, but it's definitely going to be revealing because until you have good information, it's all just guessing and you can't really make significant life change just guessing. You can't be completely honest with yourself when you're just guessing. So here's what I'm talking about. Track your sleep. Because some of you seriously need more sleep. I can tell. Right now, I can tell. Some of you need less sleep. Track your time at work. And I would encourage you, as time permits, within what you're expected to accomplish in your workplace, 
track with detail what you're doing throughout your day. So don't make sure you get your job done. Make some mental notes and get as detailed as you can about the way that you spend your work day. Track your exercise. That won't take long for some of us. Track, track your leisure and your recreation. So, like, remember when Netflix used to ask you, are you still watching? Remember that? I hated that so much. It was so rude. And uh, the guilt trip was unnecessary. And like, of course, I'm not the only one that watches hours of The Office at one time. Leave me alone, Netflix. So, um, of course, I'm still watching. Uh, track your conversation time with your spouse, with your kids, with the rest of your household. Keep track of that time. Track your service to others. Track the time you spend serving, maybe at church or in your community or in your neighborhood, in your circle of friends. Track your device time, specifically your social media time. You know, if you have a smartphone, you know your phone will tell you how much time you spend on each app, right? You know that. Do you know that? Did you know that? I hate that. (laughs) I remember actually when you had to download a third-party app to track it, but now it's built into the operating system and it tells you how much time you spent on each app. It tells you how many times you picked it up in a day. How many times you picked it up? Um, If if all this is too high-tech for you, just get a notebook and write it down, okay? Use a pencil or a pen. Um, Here's the point. At the end of the day, we may not like what we've discovered, but we will know how we're spending our time. And at the end of the week, you'll know where your week went, and you'll know how you invested your time. And that mystery part, that part would be gone. Like, that mystery's gone. Now it's clear. Because how many times you get to the end of the week, like, where'd that week go? Where'd that day go? And my, my guess is this could be very revealing to us. So again, this is just in the name of being honest with ourselves. So number one, stop saying, I don't have the time. Start saying, I didn't make time. And then track your time. Do a time audit. And be honest about what you discover. It might take you more than a week. It might take you two or three weeks to get a really good, clear picture of that. So let's go and make the most of every opportunity. Coming your way this week are opportunities that you may not want. But if you make the most of them and you invite the Holy Spirit into this process, you'll start to see significant change. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the very practical teaching in your word. So practical, sometimes it's uncomfortable. So practical, sometimes we wish it was talking about something else. And we know that we haven't consistently made the most of every opportunity. Sometimes we spend all of our time waiting for the perfect opportunity to come along, and it never seems to come. So this week, help us to begin to change that to make the most of the time that we are given, to make the most of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, to make the most of the process that you've put us in, help us to make the most of every opportunity going forward. Lord, for those of us who want to use this time together on Sundays to grow closer to you, uh, I pray that you would help us to quiet the outside distractions and to hear your voice telling us there is a God who loves us. There is a God who knows our name. There's a Savior who died and who rose again, and that that is the difference, that that makes all the difference in our lives. For all this, Lord, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.